here what we have is Italian stallion Michael <laughs> Monkhouse, who is a comedian from the UK who immigrated to uh, Italy. He is multi he is fluent in loads of different languages, and he is what you can say about Michael Monkhouse. He is related to Bob Monkhouse, and you will never forget him. Congratulations for being the first person to point that out. Really, yeah. Do, do, do you know? Do you know the reality about Bob and me? Well, now we're starting. <laughs> tell oh, yeah. us. Tell us. Um, the reality um, is, it's really not very interesting. People always ask, "Are you related?" And the answer is um, no, and yes, and no, because it's an extremely distant um, kinship, and it's not blood. It's my stepfather. Family's always complicated, so it doesn't really count. L legally, there's some kind of vague thing there, but it really doesn't mean anything, you know? Okay. I've had this since I was a kid when I was at school. Bob's your uncle, hey? Bob's your uncle. Have you met him? No, well, he's dead now. So My, my stepfather met him, actually. He did a show once um, for famous monk houses, and um, he said he was very good. He was very crude which you didn't kind of expect. There, there are kind of two sides to Bob Monkhouse, because I'm, I'm a big fan of Bob Monkhouse. You see, unfortunately, people only saw the slimy chat show host, Bob, but he was a very, very good stand-up comedian. I don't know if you saw um, the DVD, Live and Forbidden. No, I didn't. It's very good. It's about 1991, and it was a VHS in those days. That's how old I am. And it was a revelation because a lot of people who hated Bob Monkhouse saw it. And it's, 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 it's 60 minutes of um, quick fire, non-stop gags. It's almost tiring watching it. You're kind of like two gags behind all the time. And he was, he was a very good uh, stand-up comedian, very quick thinking, hmm. very fast, you know, and did the occasional game show, apparently. Ah, yeah, I, I hear. I think I remember I used to watch one of them, but I, I can't yeah, remember which shit. one. <laughs> Oh, there were so many. Was it Golden Shot, uh, Bob's Full House, which was clever. Oh, no, there were hundreds of them. But he, he used to like doing them. But he was a very talented guy. Very, very talented. He, he used to do this thing, um, Gag Association, which was great. You know, like word association, you go from one yeah. word to the other. He'd, he'd do Gag Association, where somebody said one word, someone else said another word. And he got from one to the other, but with jokes, not with ideas. You know, so it makes a joke about the first thing that involves something else, makes a joke about that. And you go from one to the other. And I've, I've got to be honest, not every single gag was stupendous, but I just think the ability to do that, you know, to have so much information in your head and to be able to do it in front of a studio audience with the cameras going, I think it's quite special. So I've got yeah. a soft spot for old Bob. But you never met him. No, it's too late now. Maybe in another life. <laughs> And so, so what's so? How how long you been doing comedy for? And like, what what led you into going to Italy, and doing stand up over there? Um, well, I didn't come to Italy to do stand up. I came to Italy because I didn't know what to do with my life. Because um, I graduated in languages. <laughs> I say languages. It was German and Latin, and there's not very much you can do with Latin. And uh, I went to Germany for three years. I just got very, very bored of it and I wanted to do something different. And um, a friend of a friend of a friend lived in Italy back from university, because if you do languages, you meet a lot of people. And he just said, well, why don't you come over for a month, see if you like it, sort yourself out. After one month, if you're not sorted, then we're kicking you out. 
And basically, I, I did the very British thing, which was I came to Italy for one year and I stayed here for 20, 21 years now, I think. 22, I, I stopped counting. But I like it. I mean, my, my girlfriend's um, yeah, Italian. Yeah. yeah, and she doesn't speak English and I'm not teach. People always say, why don't you teach your girlfriend Italian? Well, the thing is, I teach English all day. You know, and coming home, I don't want to open a grammar book. And her English is too basic for a, an easy conversation. So it's just hard work. So we don't do it. Um, how did I, uh, what's the other question, sorry? How I got into comedy? Yeah. Um, I've, I've always been into comedy ever since I was a kid. Um, you know, when I, when I was young, I used to like Laurel and Hardy. We were hilarious. Then I got into Monty Python, but I, I didn't really understand Monty Python. I just liked the idea of something that was a bit different. This, this was before they became a national institution and Michael Palin walked around the world six million times. Then it was the young ones. I, I'm a big fan of the young ones. Even now, I still laugh like an idiot when I watch it. And when, when I was at university, um, I don't know if you've heard of Footlights. No? Yeah, the Cambridge Footlights. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because I was at Cambridge. Um, oops, I did at Cambridge. And uh, I tried out Footlights in, in my second year. My first year, I did nothing. And my second year, I did everything except study. I had a, a delayed adolescence. And I did three comedy shows. My, my first comedy show was Footlights, and it was okay. Right? It was not great. It was not terrible. It was what I expected. And the second time I did it, I was quite, I got a lot of laughs, but I got a lot of laughs because it was a project that we were all supporting. And you know, when you support a project, you laugh, even if the person's terrible, so it didn't mean anything. And then the third time I did it, I was absolutely terrible and I got booed off stage. Okay. Um, but it was very unfortunate that that happened because it was a sort of audition um, to be a presenter, to be an MC, and the guy organising it was a total idiot because he actually said, this is absolutely true, he actually said to the audience, give the acts a hard time, right, make it difficult for them, make it tough, which is a stupid thing to say because it's just encouraging problems. And I, th I think I got about 30 seconds in when they booed me off. I'm not surprised. It was a really pathetic routine that I had. And it, it was unfortunate that I had that experience so early on because it was very damaging, as you can see. And um, it was not typical. You know, I think a lot of audiences are not hostile. I think um, if you look at an audience as your, your friends to be entertained as opposed to enemies to be convinced or judges to, to win over, it was, it was a very different thing. But anyway, so I, I stopped doing it for years. Okay. After that, and then uh, out in Italy, there was a friend. No, she's not a friend. I don't like her. Can't stand her actually. But um, an acquaintance, and she decided to open uh, an open mic comedy in Rome because it doesn't really exist out here. There's very very little. It's nothing like London, nothing like America. And it was basically my girlfriend. She said, instead of sitting on your fat ass criticizing everything, why don't you actually try and support a project? So I did, um, I, I did the first open mic show 
and I was surprised how much I liked it. I thought it was going to be horrible, but the minute you hear the first couple of laughs, it gets really easy. So I, I just kept on doing that. But it's interesting when you say, how long have you been doing it? I've been doing it for about 10 years, but as, as we've spoken about before privately, 10 years in Rome is not like 10 years in England. You know, I mean, t 10 years in England, if you want, you could do it practically every night. You know, you find like a page, a Facebook page, start contacting people. In, in Rome, you're lucky to get one a month, okay? Um, because it really doesn't happen. It's not something that Italians do, you know. Um, in, in England, you pop around, visit someone, let's go and watch some open mic comedy. In Italy, no, they have different traditions. Right? It's not a criticism. It's just a different way of doing things. So for me, 10 years in Italy is like three years for you, all right? That's how I see it. But you said there's only one gig a month. Um, the way it works is that there are very few openings. Um, and number one, the open mic tends not to be open mic comedy. It tends to be general open mic. And people go there to drink and listen to music and chat. And if you get up and do comedy, they don't really know what you're doing. You know, are you an actor? Are you an entertainer? Are you doing sketches? I don't know. And the open mic comedy circuit in Rome is a mafia. You know, there are three or four people that run it and they have their favorite act. They're friends, basically. That's what it comes back to. Just, you know, let your friends in. It's like these competitions when you vote, you just vote for your friends. That's how it works. And um, I, I would say on average, yeah, about one, one a month is about what I get. Okay, so that's, that's probably, um, that's, that's a lot less than 10 years. Probably that accounts maybe to maybe one year in, in London. Probably. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, it's interesting if you compare the, the reality. And also remember that there's a sort of synergy going on, that if you do 10 shows in 10 days, that's a lot of energy you work up. If you do 10 shows in like a, a year, you know, you, you, don't, you don't really develop. And, and also you, you're kind of not very stimulated because you think, well, I've got months till the next show, so who cares, you know what I mean? So this is um, with, <laughs> with coronavirus, because there is a virus going around, as you know, um, the, the only thing I like about it is that I get all these Zoom gigs. You know, it's been great. I've been, there, there, there was one, there was a period a while ago, I, I did five shows in four days which was great, you know, so it, it sort of makes up for risking your life and your home being a prison and not having any money, you know, at least you get to do a few Zoom gigs. Yeah. Swear a bit, offend a few people, yeah. And how did they go? How did mm, they go? Up and down, up and down. It's like everything, some of them go well, some of them go badly, you know. Um, the, the best advice I ever got, this was years ago, there was um, a lady who used to do, um, sort of workshops, you know, you had like an hour and you present something and she'd give you feedback. Um, uh, the best advice she ever gave me was when you go on stage, just think, fuck it. All right. Have those two words, fuck it, and just see what happens. Because if you start analysing, you know, there, there's always a reason not to do something, not to talk about something. There's always going to be someone who likes what you do, someone who doesn't like it, normally for the same reason. 
So, you know, you just sort of take the rough with the smooth, really. You know, I've had a good night. And the, the other thing that I think is important is the more you do it, the less you care, you see, in, in, in a good way, in the sense that if you do, as, as happened to me at university, if you do three shows and one of them's terrible, you think that you are 33 and a third percent terrible, right? If you do 100 shows, you have a bad show. You don't really care because you think, well, it's just one out of thousands, you know? Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't weigh you down as much psychologically. So, yeah. but I'm a big fan. I mean, I, I love Zoom because it's just um, it's just so convenient. Uh, you know, you just log on 20 minutes before, do your stuff, and that's it. I mean, that there were <laughs> there was one particular night, and I'm not exaggerating. It was about six hours of my life and about 70 euros just to have five minutes standing on a stage with no one listening to me, all right? Because I didn't have time to go home, so I went, I went to eat in a restaurant. In those days, I used to drink a lot. I used to drink a hell of a lot, so that was a lot of money. And it was too late to get the underground, so I got a taxi. And so it was hours of my life. It was a lot of money, and I felt terrible the next day. Nearly lost my job over it. All for five minutes when no one was even listening to me, okay? So you do wonder what the point is. I got so, Well, the great thing about Zoom is it doesn't matter. You know, you just log on, do it, and see what happens. Easier. It's easier, isn't it? Yeah. It's easy. I mean, the, the only thing that is difficult, sorry, challenging and demanding, we don't say difficult, we say challenging and demanding. The only thing uh, strange about Zoom is that I, I'm used to feeding off an audience. You know, I'd, I'd like to, I, I used to be scared of audiences. Now it's the opposite. I have fun with them. Like if somebody heckles me, I like to come back and, you know, actually enjoy it instead of running away and a lot of zoom nights you yeah. can't hear the audience and it's a bit strange you know especially because my, my my material it's very kind of one-liner well let, and you know let me add to what you've said i think uh, i yeah it's it's there's no energy to bounce off when you do the gig mm. oh so um yeah it's it is yeah that's why you like the headquarters night because you like the bounce yeah, yeah. Or, like yeah, no, it was nice getting up. with iggy loveski's mum and you yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was funny <laughs> that was quite funny yeah. i'd um, fuck him no but, uh, i'd fuck him um no nah, no that's the thing you know and I, but also because like especially because my um my, my material is very one you know when 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 you do observational comedy people laugh at different things but my my style is very much you know um one liner one liner one liner and there, there's that moment when you say a one liner and people laugh or they don't laugh and they don't laugh because they don't like it or they don't laugh because they haven't got it yet and you give them time and it affects the way you perform because you're used to gauging this thing and obviously with zoom you don't get that you know um if, if, if they if they mute the audience so it's a bit strange because you say something funny and, oh. okay yeah. yes um yeah it is pretty but um what else do i want to talk about so mm -hmm. with with languages yeah how how do you, what do you one thing i want you to say and this is for the one percent people that are going to be watching or maybe the fifty thousand. Um, what what? Fifty normally get. Hmm? What lesson do you have to provide in terms of learning a language? And what learning you... a language. Oh, you just got to get just get out there and do it. You know, just sort of immerse yourself. It's interesting because there are two ways to learn a language. There's the textbook way that we do at school, and then there's just living it. And it's interesting because I've had both 
because I studied German and then I went to live in Germany. And Italian, I, I just picked it up, you know, just through doing things. You know, and it's, it's, it's healthy, you know, just getting to, it, it just kind of comes naturally. My, my written Italian is not as good as my spoken Italian because I've never studied the grammar. Right. And quite honestly, I don't want to, because I think at this point it would probably do more harm than good. Because all the fluency that I've picked up, I'd start thinking, oh, is this right? Is that right? You know? Oh, okay. So you didn't yeah, pick so up the, the gra Okay. It's, it's a mixed blessing. You know, it's a mixed blessing. It can be, can be a bit of a bind, you know? But, I've forgotten most of my, um, what's it called? English grammar. Yeah. And I mean, I know a few basics here and there, but you know, I've, I've forgotten a lot of it, to be honest. Um, well, the interesting thing about being a teacher is that when you speak a language, if it's your language, you don't know the grammar because you just speak it. And um, when, when I started teaching, I had to actually study my own grammar, which is very strange. You think it'd be obvious, but it isn't. You know, and people used to ask things like, you know, why, why do you say I read yesterday and not I have read yesterday? You know, and all these kind of things, and you don't know them, so you have to sort of uh, study them yourself. I know now, been doing it for 15, 20 years, but you know, in the old days, it was a bit, uh, a bit strange. You know, I mean, it depends because I did Latin, and Latin is all about grammar. You know, it's very theoretical, etc. With a modern language, I think you just got to jump up and do it. You know, I mean, I do, I do a lot of stand-up in Italian, and um, I'm doing a show tonight, actually. Hopefully, hopefully. Um, and I have to be honest, I, I prefer doing it in Italian is 10 times less fun than doing it in English. Because the thing about, I, I, I met a guy once who is a professional stand up in Italy. He's very, very good. And he, he gave me a bit of advice. He said, if, if you have a show, for example, seven minutes, prepare seven minutes in case nothing happens but almost certainly something will happen. And when it happens, you've got to react to it. Okay, you've got to, you know, if somebody talks to you, you've got to talk back. If somebody heckles you, if, if there's a power cut, you know, the worst thing is to ignore it and just get focused on your, your script, like you're an actor doing a script. You know, you've got to live it. And um, it means that some of your material you probably won't get to, but it's not a problem, save it for next time. And the thing is, my, my Italian's fine. I've been here for 20 years, but um, my, my reflexes are far slower in Italian because it's not my first language. You know, so if something unexpected happens, like somebody shouts at me, I answer in English, it's great. But in Italian, my brain has to sort of register. And also the Italian is, is fascinating. Um, Latin languages are far more wordy, right? They're, 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 they're much longer, they're much slower. And the, the English language has a snap, it has an immediacy to it, which I think is very good for, for comedy. And you know, there's a friend of mine, we, we do a show together and um, we <laughs> there, there are a lot of sketches in that show that I'd written over the years and I just pulled out the best ones and we translated them into Italian. And there was one particular sketch that we just gave, we, we, uh, we gave up on it. We gave up on it. It was a sketch about masturbation. Oh, for comedy. Yeah, but you see, what was funny was that it was, it was an Oxford professor um, using the most disgusting, vulgar slang, but speaking very sort of elegantly, you know. 
And in English, it was very funny to have that contrast because especially if you look at American slang, there are hundreds of ways to talk about masturbation. Some of them are very funny. And when we translated it into Italian, it, it just didn't work because the Italians don't have that kind of professor figure. But also the, the Italian language just wasn't flexible enough. Right. They don't have all these different ways of saying it. And it just became very vulgar. And in the end, we, we just gave up. You know, we just couldn't do the sketch. That's one thing that I found with the English language. It is more, yeah, it does have perhaps more words than most other languages. Yeah. It's yeah. Oh, it's very flexible. Yeah, there are so many things you can do with English. You know. It's, it's a mix of other languages. And like, it's got bits. The, the fascinating thing about English is that it didn't develop in a linear way. All right. If you study um, the history of German, there's like medieval German, etc. If you study Latin to Italian, it's, it's almost the same. And English, it's a complete combination. There's Latin, there's French, there's Anglo-Saxon, there's Celtic, there's Viking. You know, if you if you get an um, etymological dictionary and you open it any page at random, you're going to find 10 languages Right, Urdu. There are bits of Urdu, bits of Chinese, you know, bits of everything, you know. And it's it's a very rich language. It's a very good language for comedy. And uh, the wonderful thing about English is you can completely change the meaning of a sentence just by adding a comma, right? Just by changing a preposition. Do you know what I mean? It's it's just it's it's a fantastic language for comedy. And Italian doesn't really have that flexibility. And I'm, I'm con I wrote an article about this years ago. I, I'm convinced that one of the reasons why England and America is much richer in comedy is because of the language. It's like pop music, right? Most, most great pop bands are English or American, you know, from rock and roll through the Beatles, you know? And what, what, uh, what advice would you have for learning grammar? <laughs> learning grammar, I think you have to have that basic bit of grammar, right? There's, um, there, cause there, there's a student, there's a student that I have, he's very, very good. And um, he's got very strong grammar and we don't do it anymore, right? There, there is a grammar book out there, green book, right? Cause there are three books. There's the red book, the blue book and the green book. Um, and it's really advanced and it has these structures, you know, like um, he may be said to have been the first person to have, you know, and it's just, it's a waste of time as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it depends what you want to do. If you just want to communicate, I don't think it's a, I don't think you need a lot of grammar, especially not with English because English, I mean, with German, German, you do need the grammar because every sentence is very um, complex in terms of structure and morphology, but a language like English, I think is very free. Yeah. So how do you, how do you chat people up in, in Italian and German then? How do you <laughs> I don't, do I don't. go like, hello there, what you doing love? And how would you sort yeah. of translate that to Italian? Yeah, come butta, come butta. I don't know actually, it's hard to believe looking at me, but I've had very little experience of women. You know, it doesn't difficult to believe looking at me. Yeah, oh. I don't know. I mean, to be honest, I've, I don't think I've ever chatted anyone up in my life. I think thing, I, things just happen, or they don't happen. You know, I mean, even even when I was at university, you know, I, I had a group of friends, group of male friends, and we used to hang out together. You know, I, there, there was one friend of ours. He had girlfriends, but it was it was separate. It was a separate part of his life. You know, didn't have anything to do with us. Okay. 
So what do you mean? That was simple. You're asking the wrong person for advice about women, believe me. I think a thousand people. <laughs> yeah. What do they ask you about? How to shut up a woman? Come to the expert. Okay. The voice of experience. So you just say love Stephen Hawking about backflips. Hmm? What is it? What is it with you, Michael? Is it love, shed, done? <laughs> <laughs> it's very it's, it's very quick. Very quick. Yeah, I don't know. I mean I don't it's, it's this thing, there's this obsession. I think it's very funny, you know, and I, I hate to say this because people think it's sexist, but it isn't sexist, it's just an observation. It's like there's there's a girl that I know and she spends all day moaning about men. You know, it's always like men are no good, men are the inferior sex, men are useless, never trust a man. And then every evening she's going on a blind date, you know? It's like, what are you doing tonight? I'm going on a date, I'm so excited, you know. This could be the one. For, for, well, that's that's the reason why, isn't it? If she's putting so much sort of pressure and then being perfect and all this. Yeah, and... that's probably why they run away. Yeah, yeah. She's oh. not very attractive either. I have to say that. It's not. It's just. I'm just. Everybody who sees her for the first time, I'm not saying who it is. Everybody who sees her for the first time comments on how unattractive she is. Right? I I don't. I, I thought it, but I didn't say it. I was very very. Oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah, it's not sexist, it's just true. I think a lot of men are ugly. doesn't mean I hate men. All right. Well, let's not go into too far the other way. Because <laughs> it it, sexism. You, you, you triggered a few people last time. I did, didn't I? Yeah, but... Um, what's it called? So, you've done a lot of... What... How do you describe the culture? of Italy as opposed to um, the UK? I mean, you know, all I know about Italy is Mr. Casanova. I know about the church. The, I know about the Venice. Italy. I know he's make good pizza. And I Vatican. know about the mafia. They, yeah, yeah, a lot of people think. The, the strange thing about Italy, um, speaking personally, is um, the day is very, very long, right? That was the first thing that hit me. Um, when, when I lived in Germany, excuse me, when I, when I lived in Germany, um, you know, you could finish work at four o'clock, right? Sometimes, you know, sometimes 12 o'clock if I was lucky because I had like a contract. And in Italy, the day is really long. I mean, they start work early and then like one o'clock, go out for lunch, then you start again at three o'clock, maybe at five. And um, I'm not exaggerating. If, if I finish work at five o'clock, I feel like I'm on holiday. It's really kind of weird. So the day's very long. Um, I think I mean, it's difficult to say because it's such a, a huge um, subject, you know, culture. Um, Italians, I don't know. They like football. I know that. They like pizza. I think they're, paradoxically, I think they're very conservative. Um, people think, the, the Italians think that the north of England, sorry, the north of Europe is very um, sort of staid and closed. And I think it's the opposite. I think Italians have a big problem with anything new, anything different. I think they're very traditional. Um, it comes out, it comes out a lot in comedy. Um, you know, you start talking about the church or anything like that, you're in trouble before you've even started. I've got into a lot of trouble over the years um, and um, you, you can see it for example in politics you know like the Italian politicians are very old you know and you see it with the technology they're kind of very slow with the technology 
And you see it with stand-up. I mean, you know, there's the, the stand-up tradition in Italy is very, very limited. Um, there, there's one guy called Enrico Brignano. Don't know if you've heard of him. Um, yeah. he's, 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 he, he's one of the few people who's made a career out of being a stand-up. Right, I've, I've seen him on telly. He's, he's quite good. I mean, he's a bit, he's a bit traditional for my taste. You know, he's a bit sort of um, you go out on your first date and you don't know what to say and this sort of stuff. You know, but I think that's the level we're at in Italy. And as, as I said before, basically in Italy, Italian stand-up is women complaining about men and men talking about masturbation. That's basically as far as, far as it gets so far. Ah, yeah. uh, okay. So. Is yeah okay that sounds cool. Um, mm-hmm. what 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 are two aspects of both cultures that you, that irritate you? What irritates me about um, an English culture? What annoys about English culture? I think English people are quite close-minded, right? About um, other cultures and you you can see it in language you know english people go abroad and they think everybody has to speak english you know and they actually take the mick out of people for not speaking their language which is crazy you come to italy you've got to speak a bit of italian americans i think oh, it's more american than british um what annoys me about italian cult like i said i think they're quite closed-minded i think they have certain ideas that they find it difficult to change um, no, but I don't really have a problem in Italy. I mean, I, 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 I'm probably happier here than I was. Um, like I say, the Italians, they, they tend to have certain ideas in their mind, like the north of Europe is very static or, you know, Germans work too hard. They have a lot of cliches, but um, no, I think, I think Italy's pretty cool, you know. It, the, the, the only thing I do dislike about Italy, yeah, that's actually, come to think of it, um, it's very, very slow. The system is very slow. Um, for example, talking about teaching. In England, you can graduate at 21, do a you know PGCE, whatever, 22, start working in a school. And if you're good by the age of 26, you could be head of a department in like a, a good school. In Italy, um, you leave university, you're about 24. I think it's really, really slow and they do six million other things. I mean, when I was at Cambridge, I had a professor who was 26, which is quite amazing to be a Cambridge professor at 26. I mean, he was super motivated. He was not the average, you know, student guy. And yeah, I think in Italy, that's the problem. It's very, very slow. I mean, looking at my job, I haven't really progressed. I'm doing exactly the same thing that I did when I first came here, you know, and you, you tend to look at things like, you know, I've got through another month, and I, I know for a fact that a lot of English people, not me, but a lot of English people who come to Italy, they tend to leave for that reason, because they just feel they're not getting anywhere. And they feel that, um, you know, it's a nice way to spend a couple of years of your life, but there's no real future in it, you know? Mm. Yeah, I suppose so. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what I found. Yes, yeah, so is that why a lot of Italians move over to the UK? Yeah, yeah. Well, every single time, every single time Italians meet me and I'm an English person who came to Italy, it's always like, oh, what on earth did you do that? You know, we're the ones that go over to you, you know. So that's the Italian pride. <laughs> what are you doing here, idiot? And, and what about the food? Because, I mean, 
it's awesome. Compared mm. to the, the UK, one thing I did... There is no comparison, no. Well, one thing that was interesting was like Michael Pierre White. Um, I hear that he sort of revolutionised cooking in the UK. I mean, Michael Pierre White, Gordon Ramsay's mentor. All oh, right, Gordon Ramsay. I love Gordon Ramsay. Yeah, polite man. <laughs> well, he, Gordon Ramsay's <laughs> mentor was Michael Pierre White. Ah, uh, okay. I've I've been out of the loop for about twenty years, so I don't know. English fine dining. My skills are stopped. Yeah. Hmm? Probably decent and it's it's a, there's a lot of like cooking has has improved in the uk but yes the food is still mm. quite shitty because i went to new york and the food is delicious and france oh yeah well yeah france is good, yeah. it's amazing yeah um in it the, the great thing about italian food is that it's infinite right um you know you you literally go from one region to the other and there's a totally different um type of food there and it's all good it's all good quality and I, I love it in Italy because on a Sunday, you have a little excursion, escursione, and you can go to like the old fashioned Osteria, Trattoria. And I'm not exaggerating, you pay 12 euros and you just eat and eat and eat. You know, they bring in like a, a starter, a first course, a second course, a side dish, you know, and all the big pasta with all the, you know, the meat and then some fish or whatever. And um, all the wine, I mean, the wine's really cheap because in England, I mean, wine's crazy expensive. Certainly was when I was there. I mean, just like a bottle of horrible house wine, it's about 10 quid, isn't it? You know, yeah, it's market wine. Well, I've never really gotten to wines. I mean, I know that Gary Vanderchuk Chuck yeah. is into that and he started in wines and he got into social media, but oh, right. yeah, I don't know. Uh, well, I mean, it's, uh, England doesn't have the, the climate for wine, does it? You know, we're good at beer. The Italian, English beer is very good. Italian beer is pretty shit. There are about three sort of lagery thingies. It's coming in slowly. Um, no, no, but in Italy, the great thing about Italy is you can, go, you can go to the restaurant, you get like house wine. You pay like three euros for a litre. You know, it's not fantastic, but you drink enough, you don't care. That's the idea. I remember when I was in Germany, it's horrible wine I used to drink, but you know, after after two cartons, you don't care anymore. Oh, and how does the culture differ with Germans and like Italians and English? What about Germans and Italians? How do they differ? Yeah, Germans are great, you know. Oh yeah, they are different. You see, this is another thing that Italians are obsessed by. You know, they're obsessed with this idea that Germans are very boring and they just work all the time. They have no sense of humour. And it's not true. I, I live, you know, I lived in Germany for years. I had a great time. You know, they invented the beer festival, right? And the other thing, the other thing that I like about Germans that I don't, yeah, speaking of things I don't like in Italy, um, German people have a lot of respect, right? If you have a problem, you know, um, I'll, I'll give you. A this is a stupid example. It's a stupid example. But if if you have a problem with a dog barking, right? I don't mean the occasional bark. I mean when it's insistent and you can't concentrate and it drives you mad. If you, if you live in Germany, you talk about it and you find a solution, right? In Italy, it's the opposite. They take it as a personal attack and they, they sort of remember if like years, oh, you're that bastard who annoyed me, this and that, you know. And the Germans, the, the Germans start with the willingness to respect you and if you betray it there are problems italians are different they start with a suspicion that you're trying to get one over on them so you have to get one over on them first 
you know. Um, like when, when I was in Germany, I had a contract and it was really simple. It was just like, this is the contract, read it. If you like it, fine. In Italy, it's, oh, we can't give you a contract for this. We can give you a contract for a certain amount of time. We can't cover this expense. We can't cover that. And um, I mean, it's, it's one of those um, chicken and egg situations because, you know, people respect the rules because the rules work or the rules work because people respect them, you know? So mm. it's a sort of problem. So. Okay, and how how does um, okay? But is is there quite a, so? Is there an expat community of English yeah. in Italy? Yeah, yeah. There's a big expat community, but I don't like anybody in it. <laughs> That's the problem. Um, no, there is a big group of people. Yeah. No, I, I used to have a joke, which was um, I've started a new Facebook page for people who never have sex, so pretend they'd rather be socialising. It's called Expats in Rome. Um, maybe very popular that joke. No, there, there is quite a strong expat community out here. Um, you know, they, they have sort of initiatives, things they do together. I, I don't really get involved in it. You know, I've got a girlfriend, so I don't need to. <laughs> That's what it is. You're not fucking, are you? I need friends. But what, yeah, what, how, so, and what about, how does, um, yeah, and what about in Germany? They've got quite a big expat. Yeah, I mean it's difficult to say because when I was in Germany, I was out in the, I was out in the east, right? It was shortly after communism, and I was not in a big city. I was in, I was in a town, and there were not a lot of expats. There were a lot of Irish people, but they weren't teaching. They were working on a building site, and they used to come over and work really, really hard for six months, and then take the money and have fun for six months. Um, but it was hard. I, I used to live in the same flat as one of them and he used to get up, you know, crack a door and he'd come home late. It's actually black, you know, covered in all the, all the crap there. But and they, they, they had a bit of a sort of social thing going on, expats, yeah, but it was quite, it's quite small. Not a lot of people. Okay. Um, what? Okay. Yeah, because I noticed that there's a big German, like English-speaking community scene in Germany as well, and there's like a big English-speaking yeah. scene sort of in in loads of different countries and cities across well, the world. Well, we stick together, you know. We like Jehovah's Witnesses. No, but it's funny, isn't it? Though? There's so many different scenes, and I noticed that with a lot of these expat places, it's not hard for them to get an audience because they're niche. Oh, you mean in comedy? Yeah. Oh, sorry, I thought you were talking more generally about the expats. Oh, no, the, sorry, yeah, I misunderstood. In Rome, there is um, a certain group of people. Yeah, uh, there's Rome's Comedy Club. There's, yeah, there, there is a group of people. But like you say, it's very closed. It doesn't really attract a lot of other people. Um, I, I used to do Rome's Comedy Club, and they were pretty much always the same faces coming back again and again. Yeah, we, we didn't get a lot of interest from the Italians. But it's, it kind of works both ways because the Italian comedy scene is exactly the same, right? Um, there was a place that I used to go to, cocktail comedy, and it was the same with the Italians. They, they had their groups of people that came back again and again, and they, they weren't very open, you know? I mean, I, I used to know quite well the organizer of the English comedy show, and she said the same thing. She said that they're really quite sort of cliquey, and what one group doesn't mix with the other, you know? So it's just unfortunate because I think, you know, it's, it's very good for you to get a, 
you know, get into a different culture, different way of making people laugh, you yeah. know. So it's, there, there is, yeah, no, you're right. There is that sort of limitation, which is unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, I did um, a friend of mine, a real friend this time. Um, we had uh, an open mic show a couple of years ago. And um, it stopped because we had an argument with the organizer of the theater because she didn't, I, th I think she didn't really understand what open mic is. You know, she came from a theater tradition and she thought comedy was Shakespeare, Moliere. And um, I think also sitting in a theater watching open mic is very different from sitting in a pub, you know, in the sense that if you're in a pub watching open mic, um, if you don't like something, you chat or you go out and have a cigarette. In a theatre, you sit in there. And it, it was quite intense because it was a small theatre. And we'd have like two hours, people just go on and on and on. And so, um, yeah, we, we, I think, yeah, we lost that. And what we wanted to do with that show was we wanted to mix English and Italian, but it didn't really work in the sense that the performers were nearly all Italian and the audience were pretty much all Italian. And um, also remember that comedy is very difficult to translate. You know, um, you know a, a novel, you know, you can translate, an article you can translate. Comedy doesn't translate easily because you play with words and you talk about certain stereotypes that other people don't have. So no, you're right, there, there is a sort of divide, I think. Uh, it, it doesn't seem to be getting any better. Yeah, probably worse with a virus as well. Yeah, it's it's a bit. <laughs> One thing, how is how so in Italy? You're getting. I hear that you're getting in Germany. You're getting furloughed till March or something. Is that right? Is that sorry? You're getting covered. Uh huh. In Germany. Oh, never mind. Sorry, I, I misunderstood. Sorry. Go on. Mm -hmm. In in UK, we had this furlough scheme where if people were sacked, they uh -huh. would get half their wages paid for. Oh right. Sorry. I see what you mean. Yeah. No. In Germany, they they when I was in Germany, they looked after you pretty well. I remember that. You know. And like I said, if you were professional, there were never any problems. Here, it's the opposite. You know. No. No. There've been a lot of problems. Uh, there's a friend of mine. Yeah. She's um getting made redundant after working for 15 years and they're trying to do something legally. But like I said, in Italy, everything's very slow. You know, the legal system is really slow. And uh, I don't know, it's all, it's all a big fuck up basically. It doesn't uh, make much difference. Hmm? How, how does, how does, what about like in terms of, should I ask this question? Yeah, go on, don't worry. So, in Italy, is I hear there's big crime and corruption in the south of Italy in terms yes, of... Yes, there is. And yeah. to what extent does that cover Rome and um, Silvio Berlusconi? Silvio Berlusconi. Oh, wow. Yeah. He's, he's, I used to have a joke, which was, what's, what's the difference between herpes and Berlusconi? Herpes might go away. Um, because Berlusconi, no, he's just always there. But you see, paradoxically, a lot of people like Berlusconi because he represents this Italian dream of just being a complete arsehole, you know. Um, there, was a <laughs> there was a friend of mine recently, he's got this kid, seven years old, no, eight years old, I think. 
And he said, you know, I, I said to my kid, what do you want to do when you grow up? And he said, fuck all. And uh, he said, that's not a nice way to talk to your parents. And also that's not very nice language to you. So what do you want to do when you grow up? And he said, fuck all. And he said, can you stop saying that? And he said, no, because I was listening to my grandfather the other day and he was watching television and there was Berlusconi. And my grandfather said, that's the perfect man. He's doing fuck all all day, just sitting on a yacht with a beautiful young woman. So that's what I want to do. So that, that's the kind of level that we're working in. Now, there is a lot of corruption. In fact, um, my, uh, I, I was doing a, I was translating a film for a guy that I know. And he said that he was friends with somebody who, it's always a friend of a friend when you hear these stories. I don't know how seriously to take them, but I'll tell you anyway. And he, um, he said uh, there was a film about the mafia about 10 years ago. And they said to the director, are you not scared to denounce the mafia? You know, it's a little bit dangerous. And the, the reality was the opposite, that the mafia had actually encouraged him to do it. And they'd encouraged him to be as brutal as possible so that people would continue to be scared of them, right? And I have a theory it was the same with Berlusconi because about four years ago, there were these films about Berlusconi. And I'm pretty much convinced that he funded them because number one, he has all the money and he owns all the means of communication anyway. So if anything comes out against him, he's going to stop it. But also, um, I, I didn't actually see the whole film because I can't sit in a cinema and look at Berlusconi's life for two hours or kill myself afterwards. But um, it was actually quite soft when when you think about the reality that everybody knows. You know, for example, the, it was almost like he was the victim. You know, the people he corrupted were people who took advantage of him. You know, um, the wife that he betrayed um, you know, it was somebody who didn't understand that a man has needs and all this kind of shit. And even, even the sort of sex scandal, they said it was um, a, a passion for youth and beauty that would have destroyed a lesser man, which I thought was hilarious, you know. I'll try that on my wife next time she catches me watching pornography. What are you doing? This is a passion for youth and beauty, you know. So it's, it's all very, very corrupt and it's very... Um, you know, I, I, you can't do anything about it. It's too big. I mean, just the fact that there is a mafia and it has a name and people know it exists, but nobody does anything. You know, I mean, that tells you a lot about the mentality. Let's go back to it again. So, yeah, what were the questions were, what have been experiences that have shaped your life the most and what have been experiences that have shaped your opinions and what are opinions. the most mm -hmm. funniest experiences you've ever had? Right, things that changed my life. Um, well, changing country. I mean, that's a huge thing, you know, culture shock going from one country to another. Um, I think the first thing that really made a big difference was when I went to university, because uh, as you know, university in England, it's not like university in Italy. And um, in Italy, they tend to stay at home, you know, a little mummy's boy for another eight years. And it was really tough, actually, going to university. Um, I didn't enjoy my first year. Um, it was all about settling in. And I, I didn't, you know, Cambridge was not a very nice place for me. It's not really my kind of scene socially. They're all sort of, you know, aristocrats or failed aristocrats who are even worse. Um, oh. 
so that was yeah that was a bit the second year was fun because i had my adolescence i recuperated my adolescence i didn't do any study i just mucked around third year was fairly shit too um the other thing probably the birth of my nephew isn't that nice but it is because i was very lucky because um I had a lot of problems with my parents and I used to spend a lot of time with my sister and um, I, I became very friendly with my nephew when he was about six or seven, which is a good time to bond with a kid. So I, I still get on with him now. And the other thing, of course, is meeting my, my lovely wife, not my ugly, she's not my wife. I call her my wife because you've been together for 15 years now. Ooh. Yeah, so I'd, I don't like girlfriend because in England, when you say girlfriend, it means I can shag if I want to, you know. And I'd like to think that after 15 years, the relationship has progressed slightly, you know. Okay. Well, what, what's okay? And what, what's that's well, congratulations on 15 Thank years. You. you wouldn't <laughs> think it to look at me, yeah. 15 years, well done. Yeah, I'm glad you're being positive because people are always negative, it won't last. There will be problems. It's like when I went to university, there will be problems. Don't worry. Yeah, if you want there to be. And how many, um, so um, what would you say is the funniest thing, some of the funniest things that have happened to you? Funniest, funniest things that happened to me? Probably, um, <laughs> it doesn't mean very much to anyone else. It wasn't really funny, but it was quite touching. Um, it was about, Oh, we were doing a show about 10 years ago and the, the atmosphere was very nervous and quiet because no one knew anyone else and the, the stage always freaks you out and it was all sort of awkward. And then this American guy sees me and he goes, hey, you're the guy that jerks off to Mel C, right? And I thought it was very nice. I felt very proud, very proud of that moment that I, that I have a reputation. Um, and it's, no, I don't know. Trying to think, probably I was probably drinking, so I don't remember very much. You know, you remember the first time you were drunk? No, I was drunk, so that was fun. Um, no, no, that's about it, really. I don't have a very amusing life, not very many amusing things happen to me. All right, think things that have shaped my opinion, like I said, probably just moving to a different country, you know, seeing other cultures. Um, there was one thing that it seems very, very banal. It seems extremely banal, but it did stick with me. I was doing an improvisation course uh, about five years ago and the guy is called Michael Gelman. Have you heard of him? Yeah. No, he's, he's very, very good, right? If I say someone's good, they must be good. And um, he said that the key to improvisation is to listen and be ready to change on the basis of what you hear. Um, the classic example, for example, if you go on stage and there's a woman on stage and you've made up a story already, you know, that she's my daughter and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And she says, hello, oh, my brother. You have to forget everything you said and just, you know, react to it and build on it. And he said, I think it's a very interesting metaphor for life because in life we don't listen to other people. And if we do, we don't allow it to um, influence how we think. 
you know, and it, it made a big impression on me um, because I, I genuinely think it's true. You know, when people say they're open-minded, I don't think they are. When people say they're open-minded, it means they have um, firm opinions and they like it when other people share those opinions or, you know, support those opinions. You, you see it every day on Facebook, you know, Facebook like. Like just means I agree, you know, um, or well said when something is not well said, it's terribly said, but you happen to agree with it, you know, and um, I, I genuinely, it's, it's strange because I'm, I'm a lefty, right? I'm a lefty, but I genuinely think that left-wingers are more bigoted than right-wingers, you know, in the sense that, I'm not crying, I just got something, so I'm very moved, it's beautiful. Um, no, in the sense that, you know, if you're talking to a right-winger, my experience, like when I was at university, it was a very right-wing college, and paradoxically, they're, they're more open-minded in the sense that they can argue a point. Whereas left-wingers like me, the minute you go out of the comfort zone, it's like, oh, you know, and you, you take it as a sort of, you know, you can, you can unfriend people on Facebook. Isn't that stupid? Like unfriending, you know, it's like, it's like you're like five years old. You're not my friend anymore. I'm not talking to you. So I thought that was interesting, you know, just to try and be open-minded, listen to other opinions. Yeah. Um... What, what? No, I mean, I, I've, yeah, it's it's something that I've come across a lot. But hey, each their yeah. own. Works a lot in comedy, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah being left, <laughs> being left on my own, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you see, you see, comedy again, right? I think I think that's interesting because I think comedy is the perfect example because if if you go up on stage, and say Donald Trump's a dickhead, you get a round of applause, right? If you go up on stage and try a witty but intelligent dissection of his policies, people get bored or they say you're a fascist. Do you know what I mean? And uh, I've, I've got into a lot of trouble for some of the things I've said over the years. And I think, you know, it's just because people, you know, there, there was something that I said that I got into a lot of trouble for. And um, in the end, I actually cut it out because I was sick of having to explain it. And it was about um, sexual harassment claim that was made by um, a penthouse model. And I was sort of ironizing it. And everybody misunderstood and thought I was sticking up for a molester, and I wasn't. I was simply pointing out that in a world of you know violence, you're not doing the cause any favors by opening your legs for the highest bidder. Right? And that was all I was trying to say. But unfortunately, everybody misunderstood because the minute you open your mouth and say anything, you know, the people don't want to hear you get into trouble. So I cut it just because I was tired of having to explain it over time, you know. Well, I mean, that comment you said a while ago, uh, which I won't mention and all that, is the kind of thing that triggers the left. Triggers the left? Yeah. Oh, right, yeah. I don't know. That, that triggers a lot of them. I mean, I'm not too fussed. You say what you want, but... Uh, yeah. No, I just, uh, yeah, there are certain things that I feel strongly about, you know. In the end, I cut it because it was causing too many problems for people. But, you know, you should say how you feel. I don't have a problem with it. You know, if other people do, that's their problem, not mine. Yeah. Uh, what, what, so, what is, what is comedy giving you? It's made me a lot more confident as a human being, which I think is great. Um, everybody, when, when I first started doing it, 
there was a girl that used to, you know, she used to coach me, the one I spoke about before. And she said, every single time people say, do you want to do comedy? Um, they always say, no, I'm scared. And I saw somebody on television who was great. You know, I just watched Jimmy Carr do two hours and he was fantastic. I can't be as good as him. And she said, that's the totally wrong attitude, right? Because if somebody's on television, A, they've been through a long learning process that you haven't even started yet. They started just like you. And B, television is a very phony medium. You know, they, I, I've seen shows being recorded on telly and they, they pump the audience full of energy. You know, they, they offer prizes if you laugh too much. And also you have to remember that um, a studio audience for a telly show is very different from a live audience. You know, if, if you're in a studio and a show's being filmed, you kind of want to laugh because you want to be part of the fun. It's like going to a party. Do you know what I mean? Whereas if you go to a pub and like you don't like somebody, you stand up, you walk out. So she just said, don't worry about it. Just start from nothing. And um, it's made me more confident as a person. And also it's, it's, um, it's helped me look at life a bit differently, you see, because I, I think the funniest ideas come from reality. You know, I, I don't, I, when, when I started doing this, I used to sit in front of a computer screen thinking, oh God, I've got to do five minutes at the show and I can't think of anything, nothing happens. What I do now is very different. I don't sit down and try and think. I just have a normal life, whatever that is. And when funny things occur, I just scribble them down, right? Because there are so many funny things that happen in everyday life if you keep your eyes open. And when it's showtime, I just pull out the, the funniest ones and just list them all together, you know? Because I don't, as, as, as I've told you before, I don't really buy this thing of, um, you know, observational comedy. I just buy the idea of jokes, just put a load of jokes together, you know? So it's, it helps you look at things a bit differently. And I think it sparks your creativity, which is a good thing, you know, get ideas and things like that, you know? Well, I mean, that's the standard way of doing it. What other people, well, I mean, what do you mean yeah. observation? That's very vague what you said there. Yeah, I know. There was a very interesting um, interview with Jimmy Carr. Um, and he said people are obsessed with this idea of observational comedy. And they often criticize Jimmy Carr because he doesn't really do it. He just tells jokes. And Jimmy's argument, because we're on first name terms now, his argument was that um, even if you do observations, um, it's not enough. There has to be a gag in there. You know, you can't just say you go to the post office and the other queue moves faster. <sighs> you know, there has to be, a, it moves so fast that, or you think this is fast, wait till you see the queue in the post office. And there has to be something funny going on. And um, there was a routine I did recently and people think it's a routine about my family and it isn't. It's just a series of jokes, but people think it's about a family because I apply all those jokes to members of my family, right? I could, I could apply that joke to a complete stranger. I could apply it to my cat if I wanted, but you know, and um, I, do, I don't know. And also the other thing is that the show, the kind of shows that I do, I get like seven minutes, you know, um, and I don't think that seven minutes is enough time to really develop an idea and a story and a theme. I think you've just got to grab them, get as many jokes in as possible, you know. 
Um, you know, you see these people like Eddie Izzard and they have like two hours, you know, that's great. You can like develop things and see where things go. But if you just have five minutes, especially if you're like me and you're totally unknown, it's, it's a luxury that you can't afford, you know, just sort of go there, see what happens, etc. I think you've got to be quite intensive. You know? uh, it, some of what, there's a, there's, there's a lot more to what you said there. And there's so, well, not just that, but they they know their own voice, so it's easier to work, to be yeah, funny. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Also, um, they, they, they have a writer's room a lot of the time. And they pay... Um, uh, yeah, a lot of comedians, after a certain point, they, they get other writers, but they get writers to work in their style. You know, um, it's, it's a voice that you have to develop. Um, there's a, I don't know if you've read the book... Um, Teach Yourself Stand-Up Comedy by Logan Murray. I don't know if it's a very good book. And um, he argues, I mean, he argues a hundred things, but there's one particular point where he said um, a very, everyone works differently. There's, there's no, you know, magic wand where everybody would be doing it. But he said something that is really useful in writing stand-up is to have a very specific subject and to have a very specific voice. Do you know what I mean? So you, you take a subject, the subjects are all the same. It's like poetry. Everybody writes about the same things, but everybody does it in their own way. And he says, you take a theme like, you know, restaurant and you give it to two comedians, you get a totally different thing because they all have a different uh, style. And um, yeah, I think it's, you, you look at look, Jack D. Jack D is a perfect example. He's got a very recognizable voice. You know, literally. Um, and then, as you say, I think as you do it, other people write for you, but they, they kind of write in your in your particular style, you know. Um, there was, I remember years ago, because I often go on the forums and somebody said, I want to do stand-up. Um, it's my first time, can you write me some material? And obviously everybody said, no, we can, but what's the point of us writing material for you? It's something you've got to do. You know, it's not like reading a joke book. So, no, you need well, you need people that are very kind of dry style of um, of performance, which is something that I developed um, because I feel comfortable with it. Um, and there was one particular show where I tried to sort of ingratiate myself with the audience, and it was just sort of cringeworthy. It didn't suit me. So I think if you're satisfied with your voice, you know. And also it's a kind of defense mechanism because if you open yourself up to the audience and they hate you, right, you're fucked. So if you come across like, you know, I don't give a fuck what you think anyway, you're sort of winning. That's what happens to me anyway. Yeah, well, it makes it, yeah, it makes it safer for you, I suppose, in a way. Yeah, it's a sort of defense mechanism I have, you know what I mean? So. But also, it's, it's a voice that I feel comfortable with. You know, I, I have tried different styles over the years. Um, like, so somebody said to me once that a good stand-up comedian gets worked up. You know, they're outraged. You know, you, you go back to, like, the alternative comedians, people like Ben Elton, who were very animated. And I, I tried it once. I, I did a routine. I think it was about DVDs when they were just coming in. And it just didn't suit me. It didn't suit my style, getting all worked up. You know, that's no. you know, I mean, who's that guy? Um, is it Russell Howard? You know, yeah. Russell. 
I mean, it's, it's, it's like a ball of energy. I saw one of his DVDs. He's like, it's all over the place, you know? It's a totally different different way of doing it. But obviously, that's that's the kind of thing that he likes. That's his thing, you know? I think it's very good. Full of herpes, eh? <laughs> no, the, I don't know. Style. It, yeah, whatever works. It's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm not too sure what to make of him. He's, he's not my style of comedy. But if it works for him... It works for him. Yeah, yeah. I, I got one of his uh, DVDs recently. Somebody sent it to me because um, this was about, it was it's kind of a bit before YouTube exploded because I'm so old, I can remember when all this changed. Like for you, it's normal, you know, YouTube, all this kind of, for me, it was exciting. And now, I don't know, somebody just sent a bunch of comedy DVDs over to me. They said, you're probably missing English comedy. And there was a Russell Howard one. I thought it was very funny, you know. And like you say, that's his, that's his thing, you know. He just obviously likes running around and getting excited, you know. I don't really see myself as that kind of performer. No. It's, yeah. It's see, isn't it? Uh, yeah. What's it called? Um, I don't know. I think we've gone through a lot of different things. Um yeah, we've covered a few interesting topics which I didn't yeah. know of. Um, yeah, what for if someone wants to go to Rome, what mm. food would you recommend for them to go? What food? Um, pasta uh, tripa. Okay, tripa is is tripe, as you call it, but not the way they do it here. They do it fantastic. They have a sort of tripe, and they 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 boil it for about two hours. And they cover it with all this sort of, you know, uh, tomato sauce, not not ketchup, I mean sauce with tomatoes and, and onions and spices and herbs. It's, it's great. It's great. But the great thing about Rome, you just go anywhere and you know you're going to get a good meal. Really mm. cheap. What are you saying that, that the cost of living in, in Germany and Italy is cheaper than here? Um, what I found is that's a very interesting question because in Italy they're obsessed with the idea that London is very expensive and I say well Rome's very expensive but the point about Rome is that there is the cheap option right and in London I don't think there is I mean the classic example is um you you know you, you go into a bar in Rome also they're very fast like you know you get the coffee the coffee's like espresso it's like that when I first saw it I thought it was a joke but that's because they just go in 15 minutes get the coffee and then do something else and if you ask for a sandwich in a bar in um in Rome you get just a sandwich and it's like one euro two euros right you go into a bar in London it's about seven quid because it's not a sandwich it's like a complete meal with salad and chips and a drink do you know what I mean and uh, I think that's the difference that in Rome, um, there is the there is the cheap option, right? It's like drinking. I I love the fact that in in Rome, if you're waiting twenty minutes before your train goes, you can pop into a bar, right? Not a pub, but a bar, and you get a little beer like that, just like thirty centiliters, and you pay one euro. And in England, you have to go to a pub, and you get a big beer, and it's it's quite expensive, and also. <laughs> I don't know now, but when, when I was in England, uh, the idea, if you go into a pub on your own, unless you're traveling, if you're traveling, that's different, but you know, if you go into a pub on your own, if you're a man, it's because you're an alcoholic. And if you're a woman, it's because you want to get picked up. 
you see. And no, really, that, that was the vibe. I'm not saying it's right, I'm not saying it's wrong, but that was the vibe that was going around. And in Italy, it's also in Germany, the Germans have the same thing. When I was in Germany, there was a bar on the station and you could just pop down there for 20 minutes while you're waiting for your train and read a newspaper. No one, no one bothers you, you know. And they have this sort of simple option that I like. That I, don't, I don't think you get it in, in London, really. I think that's why a lot of people in London go to the supermarket to get the food, you know. Sit, sit on the square, because it's cheaper. Mm. I mean, you think about two months ago, nothing was going on, right? But now, you know, I, I don't know, because I'm in Rome, but you know, you look on Facebook, there are a lot of open air shows, a lot of live shows, you know. It's happening gradually, so. No, I was just interested if it's weird doing live shows again, if you've got to I do have, any I've really. only done one, and I'm not really going to... I want to focus on a lot of other things rather than pure yeah. sort of stand-up per se. Right. Um, I don't... Yeah, so I'm, I'm not going to give that much this year. I'm gonna no, no, I'm just curious, that's all, you know. But um, yeah, one thing I want to ask before I go, I've got to film something before 5.50. No, so I don't worry. I want to... Just ask you one question. What advice would you give to your younger self? And what advice, there's three things. I want you, what advice would, what, what is a quote you'd like to live by? And also, mm -hmm. um, at the end of this, let me know some social media handles or anything you want people to Oh, sure. Yeah, sure. Um, the advice I'd give to my younger self would be, again, fuck it. Um, you know, I think... Comedy was the perfect example. As I said before, I had that horrible experience earlier on and I shouldn't really have cared so much. Um, I wish when I was younger, it's, it's very, very strange. People think I'm taking the mick and I'm not. Um, somebody said to me once when I was in Germany, she said, basically everybody is screwed up and no one knows what the fuck they're doing. And we just hide it through pretense because we have to survive. And it sounds the most banal thing ever, but it wasn't. And it really opened my eyes because I thought, well, you know, I'm not the only person who's there screwing up and who's confused and all this kind of crap. Um, and ultimately, nobody really knows what's going on. And so if, if I'd known that earlier, I think I would have lived things a bit better, especially university when I was always trying to please, you know. I mean, the, the fact that I went to university was just to please my teachers. I didn't know what I was doing, you know. So I think I would, I would tell myself just to be a little bit more focused on what I want to do instead of what other people tell me I should be doing. Yeah. Um, you know, it made a big difference, you know. So I'm, I'm an older man now. You don't care. I'm an older man now. I care a lot less, you know. I, I, I don't care in a healthy way, in the sense that I don't, I'm not gonna lose any sleep over it, you know. But, um, you know, I'd have some sort of interest. Um, the, the quote I live by, um, that's a difficult one because um, you end up sounding like a platitude on Facebook. I think just to sort of live up to your potential, really, because I'm extremely slobbish. Um, I'm very, very lazy. And, um, you know, you, you lose a lot of opportunities when you're like that. So I think, I think my, my motto would just be to try to live up to your potential, try to live up to your best, which sounds very banal, but these things always do. And it's very, very difficult to actually live by, okay? And I've, I've been making an effort recently, you know? Also physically, I've been getting into a bit of physical exercise, which I never did, all right? And um, my, my social media handles, right? Social media handles. I am me, Michael Monkhouse, on Facebook, all right? I am the, the Bruce boy on Twitter. 
and I'm the Bruce Many on Instagram, but I don't use Instagram. The one thing I would like to plug because I'm here and I'm a prostitute is um, Farm Comedy Club. Farm Comedy Club is a completely open mic. It genuinely is open, right? We don't have any preferences. Anybody can do it. You don't even have to do stand-up as long as it's funny. You can do sketch and do a song. The only rule is that after seven minutes, you go away, right? It's called Farm Comedy Club. You can find it on Facebook. And um, we had two great shows, but unfortunately with the lockdown, it's been postponed, but it's going to come back. And if you're still not bored of me, there is Mike and Frank, Mike and Frank, all one word on Facebook, which is me and my comedy partner, Francesco Pugliese, because we have our show as well as the open mic. Okay, I think that's about as much of me as you could probably take. Oh, I think so. <laughs> probably no, more than enough, cool. yeah. That's no, a pleasure. Uh, nice oh, having you on. And nice to talk to you, man, yeah. Nice to catch up. Yeah, just take care and I'll, I'll see you soon, hopefully. Take care. All right, man. Cheers.